Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet, a light on our path, and the entrance of His words imparts light, and it gives understanding to the simple. Today's subject is the Christian's armor of defense and offense. I'm pointing you to the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 6, where the whole armor of God is described. And today, in this third installment of a three-part series, we're looking at the Christian's armor. And here is the pieces of armor that he puts on when he goes into battle. And here is the scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, and beginning at verse 16, English Standard Version. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. Now, this is a loaded passage of Scripture. It's full of meaning, and I'm only going to be able to touch on the fringes of it. But when God calls his soldiers to spiritual warfare, he provides them with personal protection. We've looked at that, a belt of truth, which is the objective truth of the gospel, especially who God is, who Jesus Christ is, and what Jesus Christ has accomplished in his person and work for the salvation of mankind. A breastplate of righteousness, which has to do with our justification before God on the basis of Christ's work. Our righteousness is a gift imparted by God on the basis of who Christ is and what he accomplished on the cross on our behalf. And not only is it what we have received uh, reckoned to our account, but also it is the righteousness of Christ which is reckoned to us. Not only is our sins removed, but righteousness is credited to us, the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. And the shoes of the gospel of peace, the gospel of reconciliation. Now, these pieces of the spiritual armor are to be taken up in spiritual battle. When the trumpet calls, the soldier takes up the shield of faith. He puts on the helmet of salvation. He grasps the sword of the Spirit. Notice the difference. Some of the armor is pieces that we have on us when we are dressed. The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and our shoes of peace. But now when the battle cry comes, we pick up certain pieces of the armor that's provided for us in the actual combat which we now face. So Paul begins the second grouping of the pieces of the Christian's defensive armor with the shield of faith. Now this is not some little bitty shield. It is the Roman door shield. That's what the apostle has in his mind. It's a huge shield that advances before the soldier and basically keeps the weapons of the enemy from hitting him, from striking him. 
So the Roman door shield was the picture the apostle uses to describe this protection of faith. Now the faith that refers here refers both to the objective revelation of God in Christ Jesus and also to our attitude of trust in the faithfulness of God and in his promises. We believe in God and we believe in the God who keeps promises. And we know this is true because he has made us his own sons and daughters through our faith in Jesus Christ. And he has imparted to us a measure of the assurance of faith. The faith here speaks then of the faith, that's the objective truth in Christ, and a faith that goes beyond simply a belief in this or even a confident trust in this to an attitude. It is acting upon this belief. It's working out the implications of belief in particular situations. An attitude toward God in which one reckons God to be a faithful God who will perform all that he has promised makes the Christian warrior invincible. And we should understand that faith never points to itself. Faith always points to its object. With God in Christ is the object the soldier is connected to the almighty, invincible power of God, and that will protect us from the assaults of the enemy. In fact, the apostle gives this statement. When we employ the shield of faith, we stop Satan's fiery darts, the darts of doubt, the darts of fear, the darts of false accusations. Faith is also the basis of victory, over the enticements of the world as spelled out for us in 1 John chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Let me turn to that and read it to you. 1 John chapter 5 and verses 3 and 4. It reads as follows. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So there you have it. Now, protection of the head is very important in warfare. The mind is the center of thought and understanding. So a head wound is extremely serious. It impairs the function of the whole body. It can lead to death. Satan attacks in the area of the mind. He seeks to produce a sense of tiredness, of weariness, of hopelessness within the believer. He seeks to stir up matters of confusion and doubt. So we must have on our heads the helmet of salvation. God's answer for this stratagem of Satan is the helmet of salvation, the helmet of deliverance, the helmet of rescue, the helmet that has brought us into the right relationship with God in Jesus Christ, has imparted to us eternal life that it began at the moment of faith and will never stop, will never cease. You see, Jesus Christ is our life, and he is our salvation. He is our present salvation. 
He is our eternal salvation. Our present salvation has brought us out of death into life. Jesus said that when we believe in him, we are taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. We go from death, spiritual death, to spiritual life. But salvation is both a present possession and a future inheritance, both are which absolutely are true and are eternal. Jesus tells us that belief in him grants us eternal life. Eternal life is never temporary. Eternal life is forever. And that is our present possession. It is also our future inheritance as spelled out out to us by the Apostle Peter in his first epistle. He begins his epistle with such words, such a statement. Listen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, we can't get any more secure, any more assured than that. So this is God's answer to the stratagem of Satan. It is this helmet of salvation. Our present eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord and our eternal inheritance that's guaranteed for us and kept reserved in heaven for us. So, the helmet of salvation can be defined as a present deliverance from sin to be consummated in eternity by complete deliverance from every kind of evil. Thus, it is the hope of full salvation because of the possession of eternal life. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory, as Paul expresses it in Colossians 1.27. The apostle defines this piece of armor for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. And I read, Since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation, deliverance, rescue, fullness of life through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that rather awake or asleep, we may live through him. The helmet of salvation him embraces both the assurance of eternal salvation and the hope of ultimate, complete salvation at Christ's return in glory. This helmet sustains us in spiritual battle. The last piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, this particular piece is not only defensive in nature, but it is also offensive. In other words, through the sword, we can both fight against Satan and his enemy, uh, his, his cohorts. We can also thrust toward the enemy. But the sword of the Spirit does not refer here to the whole revelation of God in his written word, but it re- refers to the word applied to particular 
situations. Jesus Christ himself gives us the example, the clearest example of the use of the word as a sword in his meeting with the temptations of Satan. They're recorded for us in detail in both Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel and referred to in Mark's gospel. But each assault of Satan was met by our Lord Jesus Christ with a statement, a particular statement from the scripture. Usually it's a statement from one of the a letter, one of the writings that Moses gives in Deuteronomy. He quotes from Deuteronomy. Jesus would begin his statement with, it is said, and then would follow a quotation that countered the devil's temptation. And even when Satan then takes scripture and twists it to try to tempt Jesus with scripture, Jesus points out another scripture, and this teaches us that we must always interpret scripture by the scripture. In other words, one scripture verse standing alone may be be twisted out of context, but we have other passages that put it back into the context in which it was delivered, and that's what the Lord Jesus did when he quoted a statement of scripture against Satan's distortion of a particular passage of scripture. It is written, Jesus would say, and as doing so, he counters the assault of the enemy. To be able to employ the word and authority over the devil, we must hide it in our hearts. It needs to be available in our mind. It is the appropriated word of God that is the sword that is taken out and used at the time of temptation. We could say that the spirit sword is the sayings of God. It is a passage or a verse of scripture which has special application to our immediate situation. Under the temptation or trial, the Holy Spirit recalls his own inspired word to our minds and anoints it use in combating the devil. This is the word of authority that can turn back the enemy and enable us to rout him. It's called the sword of the Spirit because he gave the word. He leads us to the relevant portion of Scripture, and he opens our mouth to speak the word with boldness. This defensive sword is also a weapon of offense through which we may rout the enemy, and we may even use it to set others free from the enemy's enslavement. Now, Paul ends his statement about the various pieces of armor with this all-inclusive statement, which makes all of these weapons very effective. And that is that we must put them on and use them bathed in prayer. And we must pray under all circumstances. And we pray not only for ourselves, but we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially we pray for the Christian ambassadors, the pastors, and those who lead the flock of God. He says, to this end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and Paul includes even himself, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. There we have it, the weapons of our warfare and the armor of God with which we are endowed in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the Christian's armor. This is the Christian's weapons. 
We are to use him. Being alert at all times, we are to use him with prayer, and we are to use him boldly for the sake of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for the work that he's doing within us and he's doing in the world. We are Christ's soldiers. That is our commission. We must be fully armed and fully engaged in the spiritual battles with the weapons that he has given to us. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights.